Welcome to another episode of Being Trans. You know, part of the reason of doing this podcast is to give kind of a real-world voice to people who are transgender. I want you to see us, and I want us to see us, in a natural light of who we are. That we face so many problems just like everybody else. We have our good days. We have our bad days. We face so many of the same challenges. Putting food on the table. Dealing with shitty ex-partners. Dealing with the high cost of living. Feeling like we're inadequate. We face the same things. It's so hard for some of us to come across and just say that our lives could be so much better. But we also forget that it's not just us who face these type of problems. Everybody does. Everybody has the same problems. It's just whether or not we're willing to admit that those same problems exist for everybody too. It can be very difficult. I I love watching movies. And sometimes I come across a movie that just captivates me, pulls me in and says, you need to watch this. This is good. And I really wasn't sure whether or not I would... I would go down the path of talking about something I just saw. I thought about it for a couple of days, and I was like, should I talk about it? Well, I think I should, because I learned something. And I learned something more about me than I did expect to learn. That I didn't expect to learn, I should say. Now, before we dig into this, this is, yeah, it's kind of a movie review. I can't say that it's not because I would be lying. But before I dig into it, let me explain something. I have a scale of my movies. One is a movie that I don't know why I watched it. I don't know what I was thinking when I came around to watching it, but why did I watch it? Why am I still watching it as I'm thinking about this and I'm coming to a conclusion that this movie sucks? That's a one. And I will never, ever recommend it or watch it again. (coughs) I've had a few of those. And I've seen a lot of movies, over 4,000 movies that I have seen. Um, I enjoy movies. I enjoy the thought processes that come to creating them. Now, a 10. A 10 to me is the perfect movie. (coughs) One that you're captivated by. One that you enjoy. One that makes you think. One that can make you cry. Ones that you're happy to watch over and over again. Now... Some people might 
gawk at my idea of what my number one movie of all time is. And I'm not going to try to explain why it's my number one. I'm just going to let you think about it. My number one movie of all times is Mary Poppins. It just simply is. I feel absolutely uplifted every time I watch that movie. And I can watch it with the young and I can watch it with the old. And never, ever do I feel negative about that movie. The worst movie I ever saw. And, and I'm not trying to be mean to anybody that likes Star Wars or anything like this. And it's not really a Star Wars based issue. But yet, in a way, it kind of is. And that has to be The Last Jedi. I really, as I was sitting there watching it, I actually got up and walked out of the theater. Because I was so disgusted with everything about it. And I finally got to a point where some friends were watching it at their place and that we watched it together and I just went, you know, this has got to be the dumbest movie I've ever seen because I watched it the whole time, all the whole way through after paying money and walking out on it. Um, but I, I still pan that is the worst movie I've ever seen. I, I will never recommend that movie. That's how bad it is. Um, and I don't normally recommend movies. So I, I bet you're wondering where I'm going with this. And we'll just keep following with me. Now, on number five, five out of my ten scale is, thanks for letting me watch this movie. It was interesting. I don't hate it, but I don't really like it all that well either. I've watched it. Good job. Good storytelling. Uh, maybe I'll never come back to it again. <laughs> So you have to get a six before I'll start looking at coming back to watch it multiple times. Um, it has to have some sort of impact on me. Now, I've seen a lot of movies. Almost every movie that Robin Williams has ever made, I have seen. And some of them have been stinkers. Yeah, and... You know, and I, I've given him the full range. I'm not really, uh, you know, just because he's Robin Williams, going to give him 100%. Same with Billy Connolly and certain other people. But I will say this. I, I watched a movie here today. It's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. In my mind, I don't know where I was going and why I wanted to watch this movie. I knew who Mr. Rogers was growing up. He was on the television all the time. But I didn't have that connection with him on TV. I knew who he was. I'd seen him a couple of times, but I was a cartoon fan. I, I like my cartoons. And Mr. And Mr. Rogers just wasn't... He wasn't there for me. But it doesn't mean I don't have an absolute respect for what he did. Because I do. And so I sat down and I thought, 
I'm going to watch this movie. And I did. I sat down and I watched the whole movie. And I'm not going to spoil it because I really am an anti-spoiler. But I will say this much. What you expect the movie to be like isn't what the movie's like. But in a way, it's a very educational film. I've read a number of things over the years about Mr. Rogers, for you know, and 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 read it about it and looked at it and went, oh, okay. And I looked at his life through a different scope. And here I was watching a film about him. And I thought to myself, this film really isn't about him, but yet it is. And you finish the, the film and I was in tears. I was emotionally invested into the beauty of the film. And I had that sense of connection to it. And I think that if you're hearing this, take the time and go see this film. Because it is magical. And you'll learn something more about you than you do about him. And you'll get that when you watch this film. You'll understand what I'm talking about. Now next. Because, like I said, I watch a lot of films. And things come across my my screen. And I just go, what? Really? Go see that. And I, and I, and I saw... I saw one that I really was, I really wasn't sure about. Now, let me give you some preference. Gabriel and I both watched this. Gabriel is my 13-year-old son going on 14. And we sat here and we watched it. And we were taken back a little bit because I was really not... Wanting to go see this movie. I was really sitting there on that edge. That this type of subject should not be approached with levity. It shouldn't. Because. What happened in World War II Germany was a travesty. And anybody that forgets. Or celebrates nationalism on the scale that the Nazis did. Spits in the face of so many people that lost their lives. And that doesn't just have to be a Jewish person. It doesn't have to be a Christian person. It just is the people that lost their lives are almost incalculable. We estimate that over 6 million Jews lost their lives. My grandfathers on both sides did their job for World War II. Many people died. My aunt walked in Paris when it was liberated. As a, a soldier, a nurse, and she, she put her life on the line to help people. Because war is never safe. It's war. But to think that my family gave so much 
And it spits in my face when people wave those Nazi flags and shout out blood and soil or, or get angry at not only the LGBT community, but any race that isn't as bleach white as they are. It's, it's an insult. We should be past this point, but we're not. And so, Gabriel and I sat down and watched this movie. And I was really, really, really not sure about it. And it's Jojo Rabbit. And because I have such a unique relationship with my children, that they can ask any question and I'll come back to them with 100% honesty. They may not like the answer, but it is the honest answer. And I watched it with my son. And there were some funny parts to it. But when you get, get to the end of it, you're in tears too. And I would say that if you have the opportunity to watch this movie, take the time and watch it. It wasn't something I was expecting it to be like. I really wasn't. I wasn't prepared for it to be so... Well, on the nose. But moving at the same time. As well as educational. If you know enough about history. If you talk it out with your children... It helps them. And Gabriel asked a lot of good questions. And I, luckily enough, have enough um, education and history that I was able to spend the time and talk it out with him. And look at the educational side of what we were seeing. It was interesting. And I'll leave it at that and let you try and figure out what that interesting is. I'll leave it at that and let you try and figure out which movie you should go see, if not both. I think you'll like them. And I certainly, like I said, I would give probably Jojo Rabbit probably about a six or a seven. I'll never need to see it again, but I was glad to watch it after I watched it. I won't watch it again. Not willingly. Not go out and buy it. Um, gosh, Mr. Rogers. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Sits about eight or a nine for me. It sits somewhere in that range. And probably as I get time to digest a little bit more of it, I might pull more towards a 9 than I do an 8. Good movie. A lot and a lesson to be learned in both. I...
I had a wonderful time watching a movie with my son. We had a moment afterwards where we were able to talk, just the two of us, and have a conversation about life and how his life is going and how he's thinking things are going. And that is some of the most magical moments of the time that I have with my children, when we can just sit down and have a chat. For those you don't know, I, I have PTSD. And I wake up at the most bizarre hours because of some of the most horrific nightmares I have ever had. And some of them don't make any sense. <laughs> Last night I went to bed. I'm laying in bed. I'm, I'm, I'm just on that perfect sleep. And then all of a sudden I get that sense that something's going to happen. And I open my eyes just like that. And there's my youngest son. I mean, at the foot of my bed going, I need a hug. And I'm like, <gasps> and it scared me so bad because it, it kicked in a, a, a lovely early PTSD moment. Um, but luckily enough, I, while I might have bad dreams and I might have rude awakenings at some time or flashbacks, I can pretty much now diffuse them in a couple of minutes. Doesn't mean I can get to sleep right away <laughs> after one, but I can diffuse it. And I was able to love and show affection towards my youngest child. And we had a wonderful talk last night as well. He fell asleep. I did not fall asleep. I did not get that luxury. But in saying that, it was a wonderful conversation. My son, my oldest son, Gabriel, has been having a struggle. And I, I try to tell my children that no matter what struggle you come in with life, no matter which way you're faced with those struggles, there is three choices. You can do nothing. You could do something small. Or you can do something big to affect change. I'm a trans woman. I sit here and I talk about things. I talk about what it's like to be me. I talk about what it's like to be or be around me. As you can tell, I like movies. And uh, I have children. And we have our ups and downs. And I have a difficult funding Suitable employment for somebody who has PTSD and, uh, you know, is a trans person. It's difficult. And I talk about and I answer any question that I can get um, that comes across my desk. You know, I, I do my best to try and do something big. Why do I want to do something big? Well, if you do nothing, nothing gets done. Nothing changes. Nothing ever will. Because nothing was done in the first place. So it's really nothing 
was it? Now, in saying that, doing something, which is kind of like, you know, maybe I'll just raise my voice this one time. Maybe I'll stand up for my rights next time. It doesn't really affect a lot of change. It, keeps it, it, it does keep the status quo, but doesn't change anything. Speaking up and having this podcast is doing something big. I'm putting my life out there for everyone to see. The good, the bad, the ugly, the happy parts, the sad parts. Just so you can look at it and go, gosh, you know, I go to movies too. Or, gosh, I have wonderful chats with my kids. Or, maybe I should start having chats with my kids. Maybe I should open up the door to communication with my children. It all comes down to choices. What are you going to make? I... I want to say that as as I've been going about this, you might think I'm rambling and I'm ranting about something, but I'm actually not. I'm going to come to a very big point here. And one of the things that I look at, and I think there is solutions with my children. There are solutions when they come up to their difficulties and their problems and their challenges. And how do we work together as a family to address those issues? And I'm very blessed that I, somewhere along the lines, made a choice not to be like My examples. I also made a positive choice to try to forgive and move forward. Because the hate that you carry will destroy you. It will eat your soul. You don't have to believe in a God to believe you have a soul. You really don't. You can look at it as a metaphysical instead of a moralistic soul. That it is who you are deep down inside. It can be very difficult. But I think that I owe... We all owe a moment of silence to those who made us who we are. Good, bad, or or whatever. You need to just sit down and think about it for a second. Because while you might not see it, even the bad ones helped you grow. Wouldn't be here. I'm not perfect. I have my struggles just like everybody else. My ex-partner is certainly not perfect. And she has her struggles just like everybody else. And I learn to forgive them as best I can. I try to give my children their guidance when they have this very same challenges as I do with that, with that person. 
it can be very challenging. But we can get through it. We listen to each other. We talk about our concerns. And I think that when you look at the film that was done about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the one with Tom Hanks, I think that you're going to walk away and think that it is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I think you're going to look at the beautiful side of what can be seen. And I think that's where my thought process on that show is. And I really, like I said, here I am defragging the whole movie in my head, talking to you about it. But I think I'm going to pull more towards a nine. And I would say I would suggest to go watch it. Okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want you to have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or some water. We've got a couple of questions that came across the desk, and I want to answer them because it's been a week since I've been here. I've spent a wonderful week with my kids. We'll talk to you in a couple. All right, welcome back to the second half of the show. So... As we look at what came across my desk and questions this week, I had a young person who's been listening to my podcast and has read my blog and um, asked a few small questions, but I think this one kind of needed to be addressed. And this is something that I, I think that so many of us are faced with who are LGBT or are transgender. And here's the question. Did you get bullied growing up? Yes. Yes, I did in more than one ways. And growing up, I'm still growing up. So I've been bullied as an adult too. I've been bullied that my opinion means less than someone else's. I've been bullied that I am not a good person. I've been bullied in so many ways that it just doesn't seem to stop. But how you deal with that bullying and how you deal with the frustration, the anger, the hurt, the sorrow that comes around from it is going to make you. It's going to start adding in to who you are. It all depends on how you react. I have had the living shit kicked out of me by a number of people in a town that I grew up in, Ellensburg, Washington. I had five guys kicking me while I was down on the ground, curled up in a fetal position as they were kicking me punching me. I'd come out of school and be greeted by a fist. I've had that a couple of times. 
one of the things that also was horrific was when I was growing up, because I was different, I was scared to go to the bathroom. I was scared to go to the bathroom. And every time I was, I was threatened, you know, if you ever go in the bathroom, I'm going to beat you up. And that was part of some of the tactics of the bullies around me at the time. And that made it so scary to go to the bathroom. There just wasn't a place to go to the bathroom. So I didn't eat or drink while I was at school. Waited until I got home and then busting. I would use the restroom and then I would eat like a horse and I would do whatever I had to do. I never used the change rooms at school for PE. I would conveniently forget my PE clothes. I would do everything I could not to be in PE because I was scared. It was terrifying. And I didn't really know what to do. I should have talked to somebody. I should have had conversations based on um, on who I was. But I was so scared. And there was no yeah, there was no comfort, no safe zone for me. Um, I get a lot of weird questions, and I do apologize. Um, I got somebody that asked one, and it says, do you like being transgender? There's a difference. Do I like being transgender? No, I don't like being transgender. Nope. Never have. I would, growing up, I wish I would have had the luxury of being the gender that's in my head. Not the gender of my body. That is a very hard thing for a lot of people to comprehend because if you're cis, you don't have that feeling. You never will have that feeling because it doesn't, it just isn't there for you. You don't look in the mirror and go, I really hate this body. I hate everything about it. You may hate the fact that you're fat. You may hate the fact that you're, you know, you're not pretty to what you, um, consider pretty. You may hate the fact that, you know, your life isn't the best it could be. Okay? So you may hate those. It's different to hate the gender that you are. Because you can't change it. You can't stop it. It's always there. It's in your face. It's everywhere you look. 
and the frustrations that come with being transgender are so heavy and so chaotic that it just, there doesn't ever feel like there's a solution to it. So did I want to be transgender? No, I didn't want to be transgender. I just happened to be transgender. And that's not something I would say is something I like. But I also don't dislike it. I don't dislike it because at least I know what's going on. If I didn't have a solution for what's going on, then we have another issue. Then we have to face something else that we're not prepared or we don't know what it is and we don't know if there's a solution. And that can be very difficult because, you know, if you've ever gone to the doctors, the doctor goes, I don't know what's wrong with you. It really is a scary moment until they do figure it out. But luckily enough, I did have, um, I've had good doctors. Now, there was another one that was asked and it's like, um, what are the stages of coming out as a trans person? Well, you know, there really isn't stages. You're either going to make that magical leap or you're not. If you do make the, the jump, yeah, be prepared that a lot of people might not like it. If you don't, you might have to accept that you don't like it. And that's very difficult. So that's my answer to that. Um, One of the questions I got is, does anyone actually overcome gender dysphoria? Now, what we're learning is there is a separation now in the medical circles of gender dysphoria and gender incongruence. Now, um, when you look at gender dysphoria, it is a severe issue of your mind and your body not working together. They don't like each other. But a gender incongruence is kind of like the like a light beer to gender being a beer for um, gender dysphoria. So you see, you got the 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 heavy beer, and you got a light version of it. Gender incongruence is one where you don't have people. Um, necessarily having triggers or events where you have problems, um, but you just don't feel right in your own body. But when we come back to it, no, there isn't a cure for it because it's an actual physical, well, a meta metaphysical issue that exists. The brain says this, the body says this. The only way you're going to fix this problem 
is to either fix the brain, which can't be done. They, there is no way to fix this because what they're finding out in, I've talked about it in the past, is the brain is the brain. It's where you are, who you are, how you identify as. You can't fix that without causing other problems. We figured this out over our lifetimes and that the structure of the brain that is in your body is either going to look like an, a, a man or it's going to look like a woman. Well, if you're transgender, your brain is, is identifying as a woman, but its structure is that of a woman. So you see where I'm going? These are what the studies are starting to show. A plus B is equaling C here. Now, in saying that, fixing that mind you can't do. But fixing the body is the best thing we can do as a scientific community. Because the body really isn't where you are contained. You can lose a leg and still be the personality you are. You can lose all your limbs and still be the person that you are. You may have some more challenges, but doggone it, I'll tell you this much, at least you know who you are. And that's where we're talking about. That's where we're looking at that there is no solution for it except to change the physical body, which even then is not a guarantee that it's going to fix it. But what it does do is lighten some of the impacts of gender dysphoria and gender incongruence. Okay, so the Bud Light issue now becomes kind of a, a, a no alcohol beer. But the booze... The, the heavy beer now becomes a medium beer. So we'd step down one because we're doing things to help align the body to the mind, not the mind to the body. We've tried that, and now we're starting to see that the damage of trying to change the mind to the body is like severely messing with something you don't know enough about. And that's why the pseudoscience behind conversion therapy um, is getting banned now. You know, you have states coming out saying no. You have countries coming out saying no. You know, you have religious institutions, which are starting to lean that way too. Starting to. But when we come down to it, it is a matter of it can't be fixed. It just cannot. Um, easing the pressure that is that it is, yes, that can be done, but it's still going to exist. Um, so, and that also helps the other person that asked, "What is gender dysphoria?" So, I hope that helps you understand that a little bit better. Um, Because I, I understand that it, it can be very difficult when we're facing that. Yeah, here came another one. Um, what is the most hurtful and homophobic thing my family members have said to me after I came out? I think it came from my sister, my oldest sister, who said, 
you can't be a good parent. And you should just give up. That was the most hurtful thing I've ever had anybody ever say to me. I'm a good parent. I work my ass off. I've always, after I figured out what I did wrong, changed my my whole life, changed the way I deal with my children, changed, changed the way that I respond to their needs and their concerns. I became a really good parent. I listen to my children all the time. And telling me I'm not a good parent. Yeah, that was really beyond hurtful. That was that was excruciatingly painful. In so much that I didn't really know how to respond to that person. It was very difficult. It took me, you know, for well, almost five years now to finally this Christmas say, hey, I'm willing to put the axe, the hatchet in the ground and let's not leave a handle standing out. But you've, but they never, they don't care. They don't want to be a part of my life and that's fine. And that's okay. You know, you can't... You can make some of the people happy, but you can never make all the people happy all the time. You just can't. It's just not going to work. And I know I messed that quote up severely, but you're never going to make some people happy. You just physically can't. Because they have their own little hang-ups, their own little problems, their own little inadequacies about their lives. And no matter what you do, you're never going to fix it. So, I hope that answers your questions. I hope that... Um, oh, you know, we still have enough time. We still... Oh... We still have enough time. Let's see if... Because like I said, I get lots of questions. So, um, Gee. Is there any other way to tell if you're, transge to, if you're transgender besides gender dysphoria? Well, I think I answered that one. So we're going to kind of... I, I think that you can look at that and look at yourself. You don't have to have gender dysphoria to be transgender, is what they're saying now. You, But you have to have either gender, gender incongruence or gender dysphoria. So you have to have one of those two to be a key element. Um, and we're learning. We're still learning. We're still growing in the medical field on this issue. Um, and that, and how we come about that is going to take time. Um,
let's see. I'm trying to figure all this out. Did I choose to become transgender? Well, I already answered that one, too, so I'm not going to go down that one again. Um, ah, if you had gender reassignment surgery, so SRS or GRS or sexual reassignment surgery, how obvious would it be? Okay, well, there's a couple of issues here. For me, I'm not going to change my voice. My voice is my voice. I will do my best to make it a little more feminine. Um, just because it's it's fine for me this way. But it is a tell sign. People can tell it. Um, SRS is not going to solve your 5 o'clock shadow if you've got one. You need to go get laser. But laser isn't always 100% guaranteed either. Um, electrolysis, well, that's just a painful way of yanking things out of your face and a very costly idea, but it does work. Um, when it comes to breast augmentation, well, you know what? Breast augmentation is really, really good. They can make them look 100% normal. Scars are the hard parts to hide. But, you know, hey, we do what we do. We look the way we look, and we have to go with it. Last um, would be the um, labo, uh, uh, vagoplasty. Yes, you can tell if you can tell in vagoplasty, but it's not easy to see. It really isn't. And there are some amazing doctors out there who know how to make it look like a piece of artwork and are very good at what they do. So and if you follow the, the steps that they have for making sure that your surgery is a success, good luck. Good luck telling that it is um, been done. If you have the hourglass surge, the hourglass uh, figure, or if because you've been wearing a corset, or if you have facial feminization surgery or hand feminizing surgery, yeah, there are some things that are going to be harder than most to tell that you used to be a different gender. Um, but in the same token, and I say this out loud with one hundred percent. Um, demand that we must be open and honest that yes, we are trans. Um, the reason for it is because if you end up in a relationship and somebody gets invested in you and they love you for who you are and then you drop a, a proverbial bomb in their lap, it's not going to end well. So, but that's today's show and I think we're just going to end it here. We can answer more questions, but Sometimes I want to leave some of the others for another time. And I always do answer the ones that come across my desk. Um, I may send it to you an email. I may answer it directly to you. Um, or I may put it on the podcast. 
But like I said, it's all about you, how you're going to go through your transition, how people are going to vision, uh, view your transition is going to result in how your um, overall life is going to be like. Thanks for taking the time and joining me here on Being Trans. Until next time, bye now.